0: But now, because I've been chained, transformed by the believing work of the Holy Spirit of God, you know what I do now? I, it's always coming out because he's in my heart. Thank you, Pastor White. It is so good to be here today uh, with you. And... Uh, What a great meal. Thank you for that song, ladies. Wow, Uh, that's so true. We can't reach a world where we won't touch. The world has to feel the touch of God. Uh, It's not just telling them what's right and wrong from the Bible. They have got to experience the touch of love. I remember I was raised, like I said, up in our, in Quenelle Area cattle ranch there, and uh, my I I was the oldest of seven boys in our family, and uh, I love ranching. Either when you grew up as a boy in our neighborhood, you either became a rancher or a logger. There was a the two things that happened up there, and a lot of them did both. They were ranchers, cattle horses, and logging. All my friends, that's what they did. I only had, I had a problem. My problem was I got allergies, hay fever, bad, when I hayed in the summer or when I went in the bush logging. I mean, I would get asthmatic as- attacks from being in the bush and the dust and the pollen and all that. I was good in the wintertime fall winter but for the summer a write-off I would still do it because dad was the kinda guy he didn't you know it doesn't matter if you're sick you still work that was how we were raised so uh, I I slugged it out till I was my last year of high school I got a job working part-time in Quenelle working in a grocery store bakery of all things I was working in a bakery and uh, and I would go to work early in the morning, and I was actually making some pretty good money for those days working in the super value. Uh, don't know if you guys remember super values, but there used to be lots of them in BC, and uh, and so that's where I would work in the morning, and then work on the weekends part time as a student, and uh, and during that time, um, I was introduced to a pilot. And uh, that pilot was a, a pilot at, um, at my uncle's fire suppression camp. He worked for the forestry and he did fire suppression. And there was a, a pilot, a young pilot that was there. And so I would go out there occasionally uh, on the weekends and visit that my aunt and uncles because it was good food that was amazing by the way the food here with today was good too that was really good folks thank you for that good dinner the only one problem with it only one I ate too much and that is really hard to get up and speak after you eat too much I'm I don't like eating before I come and preach or speak but uh, today I fell Uh, I I couldn't resist that good food and I was only going to have a little bit, but I just had a little bit of everything and that ended up being too much. Um, so thank you for all that. So I, when I was young, I would go out to my aunt and uncle's that one day this pilot uh, does a little air show over the camp with, his, with the airplane he was flying. I forget what it was, a 172 or so he doing. I thought, boy, that looks like a fun thing to do. A little while later, that pilot came into the camp. He sits down at the table while we're eating, and, and I started talking to him. And I said, uh, I said, boy, that was really neat what you did. I mean, he was just putting on an air show right over the camp. Like he would go turn and come back and over the camp and all this. I thought, wow, does that look like fun. I never dreamed that someday I would become a pilot. Because I always thought, you had to be really smart to be a pilot. I thought you had to be like a super educated, like a doctor, lawyer kind of a person to be a pilot. But I didn't realize anybody can become a pilot. All you gotta do is have lots of money <laughs> to spend. And if you can't, don't have it, you gotta borrow it. And uh, I tell everybody that's getting into aviation, First thing you got to know, there's one thing that goes faster than the plane, money. And uh, that's in the ground up, 101. Um, and uh, so I said to this guy, I said, this young pilot, I said, you know, I'd like to, that's really neat and all that. I said, how do you ever become a pilot? Oh, he says, you can become a pilot. I said, Really? Uh, I said, I'm just grade 12. I just got a grade 12. He said, that's all you know? That's fine. He says, all you got to do is go to the airport, get, get a familiarization flight, they called it in those days. And he says, I can arrange that. I said, really? Within a week, I was in my first plane ever. Got into the airplane. They taxied out, took us up. And this is what really shocked me. We get up flying up, 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 up. And I'd never been in an airplane in my life. We're up, up. I'm watching the ground disappear below me. And I mean, you're sitting in this little two-seat airplane. And I mean, you're watching the, you know, the ground disappear and everything gets smaller and smaller. But the next thing, this is what he did. Now remember, I've never been in an airplane in my life. Never. That's the first plane. We get up not even seven, 800 feet. He says, okay, you take control. I said, what? I said, I've never flown before. That's okay. He says, you're there. He says, we got two of these. I've got one over here. You've got one there. You, you fly that side. I'll fly this side. If you do anything bad, I'll, I'll catch it. So we went up. And higher and higher. He says, okay, turn. Okay, he says, do a little turn to the right. I started turning. And ah, I just felt like I was going to fall out of the plane. Because I looked down and I saw the, you know, I said, <laughs> I couldn't, I put it back up straight again. He said, uh, that's okay, you're not going to fall out. He said, but I'll tell you what, let's go around this way first on my side. So we made a turn this way. Then he says, okay, go back the other way, turn it back. You know, and I, I, I pulled it off that time we went around. So we do a few turns and then he says, okay, take us back to the airport. I said, where is the airport? He says it's right over there, right behind us. He said you're going to have to do a turn. So we turned around, and he says, "Do you see the airport?" And I'm looking. I said, "No, I can't see it." He says, "It's right out there." I'm looking. I can't see it. He says, "Just fly this direction for a while." Well, then it started. You know, this airport that was a big, huge thing when we were on the ground is now like about big as your thumbnail. Okay, out there in the distance. So we fly, and then he says, okay, you're going to do your first landing. I said, what? You're going to land this plane today for the first time. I said, this is the first time in my life I've ever been in an airplane. He says, don't re- I've got the wheel on this side, you've got the one on that side. They're called control columns, but we'll call them a steering wheel. Okay? He says, so we're coming in, and he's pulling. The- and I kept trying to tell him, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I was so sure I was going to crash the air thing. So we go down. He's pulling the power down, 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 down. Runway's getting closer and closer and closer. And we're coming down, 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 closer. And I'm still, my heart's just pounding away, you know. And he says, okay. He says, okay. He says, we're just about there. I said, take it. Please take it. He says, no. He pulls the power off. Down we go and he had his hand on the thing, control. First flight, first landing. We taxied in, and I was hooked. I was a pilot, from, that was my first time in an airplane, and from there on, all I wanted to do was fly. He had me, it worked. I signed up, and the money started to flow. every spare minute I had out to the airport, out to the airport, get in the airplane, fly. The company I was working with, the grocery store chain, they offered me a transfer to Edmonton. So I had just almost finished my private license, and they transferred me to Edmonton, and uh, in the, the company that I was working for, and I got out there, and I thought, I am going to keep flying. And I got my first loan, first loan, uh, actual loan uh, that I signed all myself. Nobody co-signed, and I went in. It was to finish my commercial pilot's license. And uh, so not only does it use all the money you have, you've got to borrow money tomorrow to keep flying. But I was getting my commercial license, and... Uh, I got the commercial pilot's license, and uh, then the next thing is a job. I had gotten my float rating and commercial license in Edmonton, and then a company in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, in 1975, gave me my first job. I moved out there in 1975 as a VFR, that's Visual Flight Pilot, commercial pilot, and I started flying for a a company there that had a fishing lodge. And all I would do is fly this 206 out with fishermen on back and forth once in a while. Then I would fly electricians and carpenters and all over Saskatchewan and uh, that summer. But I still didn't have an instrument rating. I had to get, in order to go on, I had to get my instrument rating. So that winter, I went and got my instrument rating of 1975, 1976, the company hires me back and I start flying there. 1976 of summer of 76, August 28, 1976, on my first airplane flight that was kind of a commercial category flight, really first real twin engine turboprop flight. I was so excited about doing this flight as a commercial pilot. I was just thrilled to fly, and it was a trip into the Arctic. We flew all the way up to Baker Lake, from Baker Lake to Hall Beach. I remember it was August the 26, 1976. We landed in Hall Beach, stayed overnight there, got out in the morning. There was two inches of snow on the airplane. We had to go and sweep all the snow off the airplane. It was cold, and uh, so we got from there, Hall Beach. We flew to Resolute Bay. That's further north, another six, 700 miles north. So there we picked up a load of construction workers, and we were coming back to Prince Albert. We go to Yellowknife. We're supposed to overnight in Yellowknife, and what happened in Yellowknife is the captain decided it was late. It was about, well, I don't know, it was late, 11 or 12 o'clock. He says, ah, let's just go right back to PA. It's a beautiful night, sun shining, high this, I mean, the moon is up and it's light night, let's go. So he, I, I was just a co-pilot starting out, whatever you say, sir, we will do, okay? Just like a deacon's supposed to say, you know? <laughs> just like a, a Sunday school worker, yes, sir, whatever you say, captain, right? So I, we took off for Prince Albert. We're flying, beautiful night, but tired. We hadn't slept hardly at all for th- two three days, we're coming into Prince Albert, and we got a call from, Quenal, from Prince Albert Flight Services, and they said uh, the Gulf Charlie Lima was the name of, was the type, was our registration of the airplane Charlie Gulf uh, Romeo RCL Gulf Romeo Charlie Lima, and it said uh, we have some fog coming into the airport. We were about 150 miles out. And they said, uh, no big deal. It's not bad, but, you know, we see some fog forming. A couple of minutes later, he gave us another call. Gulf for Charlie Lima. This is Prince Albert Radio. You have, uh, we have, the, the th- fog is thickening. Visibility is lessening. And we're beginning to pick up some ceiling. Ceiling. No problem. We got a state-of-the-art airplane, best of equipment. We get a little closer. We get another call. Fog. Fog. Uh, they called us and they said the fog is thickening, visibility is lessening. We have less than one mile. A few minutes later, less than half a mile. A few minutes later, they call us. They said the visibility is one quarter of a mile. We think now it's starting to get serious. So we are coming in, and uh, as we're coming in, we did an approach on the runway, and the fog just thickened the worse. And we did an approach, did a second approach, did a third approach, and on the fourth approach, something went wrong, and we crashed. And we crashed, and that was the night I ended up in the hospital, and it was from there that we, and if you want to hear the rest, go to our website, and you can hear the rest of that story Um, on the CBC, you hear my story, the rest of it. Time goes on, I get... That Christmas of 76, my mother gets me my first Bible. So I go home for Christmas. We, I go back flying. I get back home. My mom got me my first Bible. I come back to P- Prince Albert with it. I start reading it. Reading the Bible didn't make sense to me. I'd never read a Bible before. And I started in the Old Testament. I'm trying to read Old Testament and all of these things. It was really difficult, especially the part where. I got to the part where God says, kill them all. Wipe out men, women, children, everything. I thought, how can God tell, how can a God who loves the world say, wipe out everybody? It just, now maybe you've never had problems, problem, but that was for me a really hard hurdle. Now I know why God said that. Now I understand it, but then I didn't. I started listening to the radio, the radio, and there was some gospel programming, not much in those days, but there was some on one, one channel, uh, one station, which was Swift Current, and they would run every, they're still to this day, seven till nine, every night, they run gospel programming. And I would listen to that, that gospel programming. And the, one of the guys on the radio said this, one of the, spe- uh, the programs that was on the, He said, if you're reading the Bible for the first time, he said, I would not recommend starting in the Old Testament. That's where I was. He said, I would recommend going to the New Testament and start with the Gospel of John and read the Gospel of John once, read it a second time even, and even read it a third time, all of it. And underline in that, every time you see the word believe, underline it. And the other word you circle, underline, circle the words I am. I did that. And it started to make sense. I saw it. Believe, believe. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish. It's all through. Believe. Shall believe You shall believe and have everlasting life. Then I went through a real struggle of believing. What does it mean to believe? And if I were to ask all of you, what does it mean to believe? Believe. Believe. Believing is what happens when you believe enough That it changes your life believe i struggled with what it was to believe for a long time i wondered do i believe i'd read it i agreed with it but do i believe see god is very it's very clear in the scriptures what it means to believe believe Believing enough so that you have eternal life. Everlasting life. There's a lot at stake. On this end, you have believing and you have eternal life. If you don't believe, you have eternal hell. You want to make sure you got that one figured out. Believing. There were some verses in Mark chapter 9 that really bothered me. It says that, Uh, Mark chapter 9 he says if a man if your right hand offends you cut it off because it is better to enter into heaven with one hand than to go into hell with two. Then it says if your right eye offends you cut it out Because it's better to go into heaven with one eye than to go into hell with two. Then it says, not only does it say those, then it says your foot. If your foot offends you. What he means if your foot or your hand or your eye is preventing you. That's what it means, preventing you from believing, cut it off get rid of it. What he's saying, it doesn't matter what it costs you. Even if it costs you your hand, your eye, your foot, get rid of it. If it's hindering you from believing, that's how important it is to believe. Believe. You see, when I took my pilot's license, I took The Ground Up. The Ground Up is the first book. I don't know if it's still the book ground up, and you read and study, it teaches you everything about flying. It teaches you how the airflow, the airplane, the ailerons, the, the every part of the airplane, the thrust, and all of these principles of flight. But the ground up doesn't get you fly, Isn't You're not a pilot. You know when I became a pilot? One day we're out, I had flown nine hours, not eight, eight and a half hours or something. And we're out at the airport in the Quesnel, and my instructor, we do a couple of takeoffs, land takeoff, he says, okay, stop, right here at the intersection. He says, I stopped, because I just did everything I was supposed to do, like, you know. He says, okay, I'm getting out. I said, what? He said, I'm getting out, you're going to do the next ones on your own. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I don't think I'm ready for this. He says, I think you are. I said, what if you're wrong and I, you know. (laughs) What if I'm right and you're wrong on this one? He said, uh, so he gets out. He says, just taxi back to the end of the runway and, uh, you know, make your call and taxi back, just like we've done all these other times and you do it. This will be your first flight. He gets out and he walks. Now, I had a strong inclination in me to turn that plane around and follow him right back to where the hangar was. But I thought, I gotta do this, I have to do this. Taxied out, got turned around, faced down the runway, pushed the throttle forward, down the runway and next thing you know and without that instructor in there that plane took off about five seconds sooner it was up in the air and we were gone the plane flew totally different without him in there he was a great big guy and uh, he so the planes up in the air no turning back you know what happened right there folks I became a pilot I actually flew the plane all by myself. I took up, round, and we landed. Now I'd like to say I did a perfect landing, but I came in, I landed, boom. I landed again, I landed again, and I landed again because I had this thing in my head that you don't want to go too slow when you're coming in on final approach. You want to keep the speed up. I remember that that was drill. You know, If you get too slow, you'll stall and crash. So I kept the speed up, but with the speed up a little bit and no guy sitting in the right seat, that airplane did not want to land. And I went boing, 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 boing. So I landed five times on my first landing. (laughs) And uh, But you know what happened that day, folks? I became a pilot. Not a very good one, but I was really, because I actually did what I learned. I, I actually applied all the things I had learned. I became a believer that day. I became a real believer in what I had learned. I flew. We could put the same application to a skydiver. You put a guy in the back of the airplane, he's a skydiver, he's taken all the course, he's, done all the l- he's learned how to become a skydiver, but he's never jumped out of an airplane. And you can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, but until you jump from that plane with that parachute on your back, you're not a skydiver. That's believing. That's what it is to believe. Now, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 are two Amazing verses. Now, that's not our text, but let's go there. Romans 10, because it's really important. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 teaches you everything you need to know. So that guy told me, read the book of John once, read it twice, read it three times. I say that's amen, amen, amen. Then the next book you wanna read once, twice, three times, book of Romans. Read it once, read it twice, read it three times. Those two books will give you everything you need to know about Christianity, to prepare you, okay? But Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Some of you are very familiar with this, but I want to share this. This, I use these verses. This is where, this is where you really fly. This is where you really jump from the airplane. This is Romans 10, 9. It says, that if thou, that means you, shall confess with your mouth, and with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You know that word saved? When I was reading through the Bible, saved, 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 I thought, what on earth does save mean? What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Saved from hell, saved from the tribulation, all the things bad taught in the Bible, God will save you if you believe. The tribulation, death, and hell. But you must be saved. Now look at the next verse, verse 10, Romans ten ten. For with the heart, uh, where is it here, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth, that believes, Unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So you see two things here, the heart and the mouth. The heart and the mouth. The heart and the mouth. What comes out of the mouth is in the heart. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean a little prayer. I used to think it did, but it doesn't. Now, maybe your pastor... (laughs) It means if he's in your heart, he's going to come out of your mouth. What it means is if he's in your heart, it's going to come out. When you're hanging around the airport, you know what everybody talks about? Flying. When you hang around the truckers, trucking, you know, trucking, you know what everybody talks about? Trucking. You know if you're a farmer, a rancher up from, uh, you know when you get around, people are talking, you know what all they talk about? Ranching and cattle and horses and getting bucked off and riding this one. You know why? Because it's in their heart. That's why they do that. That's what they live for. It's in their heart. And that's all they live for. But once you're a Christian, once you are a believer, once you have jumped from the airplane, once you've actually got a hold of those controls and you've left, you know what happens? You become a believer. He's in your heart, and you start talking about him. I never used to talk about God. I never used to talk about Christ. I never used to talk about the Bible. Never. In fact, I would walk away from them who did because I wasn't a believer. But now, because I've been chained, transformed by the believing work of the Holy Spirit of God, you know what I do now? I, it's always coming out because He's in my heart. That's what that means. I want to ask you this morning, tonight, this afternoon, today, 23rd anniversary, Are you a believer? It is vitally important that you are a believer. (sighs) That's the introduction. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1. I got to get to my text here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. A believer. If somebody would have told me back years ago before I was a Christian that you will be preaching someday in British Columbia at Surrey BC I would have told them you are totally crazy never but that's what God does to a life that is transformed and changed you will become and do what you never believed possible because it's God doing it through you it's amazing Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 he says this is what salvation is he's talking to save people here he's saying in verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace That's why we are forgiven, because of the riches of his grace. Verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's what happens once you're saved. Christ abounds toward you. He starts giving you things and insights to things that you never had before because of a new way of life, a new source of wisdom. It's God. Verse number 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's our text. The mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Okay? God's, the mystery of his will, which he purposed in himself. That means God's the originator of this. He, had a, he has a will. And I'm going to talk today about God's dispensational will and his divine will for you, his divine will, okay? dispensational will and his divine will look at verse 10 we see the dispensation that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in christ both which are in heaven and which are and on earth even in him look at verse 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will verse 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ I'm gonna read the next verse too. let's read the next verse I wasn't I'm gonna include it here because it's important it's where it applies to you verse 13 in whom ye that means you in whom ye also trusted after that ye ye heard the word of truth the gospel of what your salvation you see it's not your salvation till you trust it is not your salvation you're not a pilot till you fly the airplane you're not a skydiver till you jump out of the airplane airplane totally trusting in the parachute and the training you've got yeah i believe i can do it i believe i trust the parachute i trust what i've learned i trust this airplane's going to get us up and down and you do it that's when you become a believer and that's what he's saying the gospel of your salvation in whom after that ye what's that next word after that ye what after that you believed Something happened. The rest of the verse tells what? After that you believed, you were what? Sealed. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You notice after that word, there isn't a period. There's a comma. See that? Comma. You know why that comma's there? He's not finished explaining what just happened. After that you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now, the inheritance was mentioned up in verse 11. Let's look back at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained, what? An inheritance. You know what I used to fly when I was, when I... That company I flew for, we had the crash, it wasn't long, I was flying again, and the company just grew. The company had King Airs, it had Learjets, it had Douglas DC-3s, and uh float plane, and, and it was growing. And, and I, first, when we crashed, I thought it was my fault, but we found out it wasn't my fault, thankfully. And... Uh, And the company kept me on, and we kept flying, and away we go and things. But what never left me was that night that we'd crashed, the thought that I almost died. I was 21 years old, and when you're 21 years old, you don't think of dying. You've got a lot of other better things on your mind than dying, right? When you're 21, or 18, or 19, or 22 even. The last thing, until you have a wake-up, shake-up, like something like an airplane crash, and I was trapped in a burning airplane, and they dragged me out just seconds before that airplane was totally burned. The, the first guy tried to get me out. He couldn't. He tried. He went out. He had actually said outside the airplane to somebody else, he said, I don't think we're going to get him out of the airplane. I don't think we can get Dave. One of the other guys with a broken arm, he was outside the plane, he's watching this plane burning. Knowing I'm inside, he says, I think we should try one more time. I'm sure glad he did that. Try one more time. That's how we have to go after souls. One more time. One more time. One more time. He said, they went back in the airplane and they got a hold of me and got me out of the burning airplane, dragged me out seconds. Like, probably 30 seconds later, it would have been too late. And uh, then I'm in the hospital, a few hours, a couple of days, and then uh, I get out of the hospital, and I'm on my way down from the hospital, and the Catholic priest met me on the stairs when I'm coming out, and I was very sore, I'm hobbling along with a cane, and the Catholic priest comes to me, and he says, you were one of those boys in the plane, you were the boy in the plane. I said, yep, I said, we were pretty lucky. He said, son, that was not luck. He says, there was a hand bigger than yours in you," And I remember thinking, that's true. There was something saved us, saved us from perishing. We hit the ground that night, in the middle of the night, 165 miles an hour, in the pitch black dark night, in fog so thick, And we plow into a field at 165 miles an hour, and everybody walked away. Nobody died. There were some injuries. So I think there was an angel held that plane because he knew there was one guy on that plane that was going to get saved. So far as I know, nobody else did yet. But but that was that winter. My mom got me the Bible, and I started reading. You know what, after I get saved, you know what begins to gnaw at you? Once you're a Christian, you begin to become sensitive and you desire the will of God, God's will. This text that we're reading, see in verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Mystery of his will. Folks, I wanna say the greatest, somebody said this, the greatest accomplishment you can make in your life is the will of God. It's discovering God's will and doing it. But folks, do you know how many Christians go through life and they don't ever find the will of God? They're afraid, they don't go in, they don't take the next step, they won't, there's fear. There isn't, faith. fear and faith don't mix. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He wants us to conquer fear with faith. Plunge forward, trusting God. Faith. Faith. You can't find the will of God without faith. And he's saying here, make known unto us the mystery of his will. There's two parts. The dispensational will, and there's a whole bunch of dispensations in the Bible, and there's a lot of mysteries in the Bible. There's, uh, but here he says um, that the... I want you to go to chapter 3 and verse 3. We'll see here this mystery of his will. Chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Paul is saying, God made known to me the mystery of his will. He's saying he's revealed to me, showed me the mystery of his will. Look at verse 4. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now go down, uh, go down to verse number nine. Verse number nine, he says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world hath been hid in Christ, who created all things by Christ Jesus. Verse 10, what is this mystery of his fellowship? This mystery, verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. You see after that word God there, is there a period or a comma? A what? A comma means what? Means he's not finished yet. He's just hesitating. He's got something to say, look at see the next verse. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord now in verse 10 may, might be known by the might be known by what? The church the manifold wisdom of God verse 11 according to the eternal purpose. You know what God's wisdom God's will is revealed in and through the church Christ is the shepherd of the church and he wants to unveil his will to you but he won't until you get in a church. I get saved and I went to all kinds of different churches. First church I went was a Catholic church in Las Vegas, Nevada. That's where my first time going to church ever in my life, Las Vegas. Flying a Learjet, we were down there on a weekend and at least the captain asked me to go to church with him. I go to church. And like I said, the morning of the Sunday school class, they get out of church, and an hour later, we're back in Caesar's Palace, gambling. I hate to confess that to you here, but that's what I did. Because back then, it was all just a big cloud of, I, I went to church. I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. I don't think we're supposed to be in Caesar's Palace, gambling, as a church-going person. Would you say amen to that? Hey? Yeah. So... The next time I go to church is in Palm Springs, California. Another Learjet trip, I'm with that family. The family invites me to church. I go to the church in Palm Springs. And then time goes on. I go to another church. This is 1977. I got saved, I accepted Christ as my savior in the summer of 1977. I get my Bible in 76, I read it, 1977. I accept Christ. And then for another year, I, I'm searching, seeking. I know, I think that people should go to church. But when you don't know where you belong, which church do you go to? What is the right church? Is it the Catholic church? Is it the Lutheran church? Is it the, and I went to the Lutheran, is it the Presbyterian church, the one just down the corner? Is it the Seventh-day Adventist church? Is it the Jehovah Witness church? I just want to know which one is the right one. It's confusing out there, folks, when you've never gone to church. Which one? Which one is the true church? Which one is the best one? The right one. Time goes on, time goes on. I'm on an Air Canada flight, coming back from Toronto one night, and this guy sitting beside me, God used this guy, he says to me, he says, I'm talking to him about spiritual things. And I, I don't know if this guy was even a Christian. But he says to me, he says, you know, I think the church you might want to check out is the Baptist Church by the airport. I said, really, that little church by the airport? I didn't even know anybody went there because I never ever saw any cars there or anything because it was quite a little ways out of town. And I worked at the airport. And he said, no, there are good people there. He says, I, have gone, I know people that go to that church. And they're genuine. They're real, genuine people. You know, that speaks about testimony, the testimony that you have out in your community. People are watching you. You know what you are? You're the Bible out there. You are the living Bible. And people are watching how you live, how you act, what you do. And they're keeping track, believe me. They're reading you. That guy saw something in that church, and he says to me, I think you might want to check it out. I start going to that church that was the Baptist Church in Prince Albert 1979 and you know something folks you know what God began to reveal to me there his will his will his will from the word the direct will of God his will he unveils his will to the church you know a lot of people are gonna miss the will of God, they're gonna stand at the judgment someday and they're gonna be empty handed with wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment, and I'm talking Christians because they never connect to the place where God reveals his eternal purpose. It's the church. Folks, you're in the right place today. You made a right decision today to come to church. I made that decision back in 1979 you know, I took that advice of that pilot, that guy that was on the plane, and I, for the first, I, I decided to go, and it was that church. Do you know what amazed me about that church, the Baptist church? Now, I had gone to the Catholic church, the Lutheran church, the Seventh-day Adventist church. I had the Jehovah Witnesses for a while, every Saturday, talking to them. And like I said at the Sunday school hour, the Jehovah Witnesses of them all oppressed me the most. They were the most sincere, genuine, and dedicated, but you can be sincere, genuine, and dedicated, and be sincerely wrong. And they were wrong on many things. And the most important thing is Jehovah Witnesses are wrong on salvation. They're right, and they're out there doing stuff. They ought, they ought put us to shame. We should be doing it. You know, no Chris, no Baptist came to my door and knocked on my door and said. There but the Jehovah Witnesses did when I get to the church and I begin to begin to get taught from the Bible, what amazed me is every question I had and believe me in those days I had lots of them. You know what they would do? Open the Bible and show me the answer. They would open the Bible and show me the answer. What about this? What about the end times? What about uh, Israel? what about uh, Marriage, what about everything? It doesn't matter what, everything. They would take it. Not just the pastor would do it, but the God, people in the church, farmers. Here, I'll show you where it says this and says that. The word of God. And God began to unveil his will about to me, the will of God, and he'll do that for you but he won't do it until number one, the first thing is be saved. Number two is be genuine in your seeking him. Thirdly, make sure you connect with a good Bible-believing church. I happen to know where there is one in Surrey, British Columbia. And there's one in Prince Albert and there's one in Edmonton and there's one in Calgary, there's several, but it's one that, how do you know it's one that teaches the Bible the will of God the dispensational will is God has a different plan for every dispensation in the Old Testament it was Israel the New Testament it's the Gentiles and then the tribulation is another dispensation the millennium is another dispensation it's all part of God's eternal purpose but he has a will for you and me right now here now in this very critical time Folks, it's imperative that you and I are serious about seeking the will of God for your life, your family, your future, you. There's nothing more important than the will of God. It's, letting, it's saying yes to God and let Him fulfill His will in and through your life. God bless you. Pastor. Thank you for watching the message today.